We now have uh, two Bible readings. Firstly, 1 Corinthians 11, the verses 2 to 16, and then from Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 33. Commencing then, firstly, from 1 Corinthians 11, from verse 2. It's entitled, Head Coverings. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonours his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonours her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For a man has not made from for a man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as a woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. Her hair, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. We then turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 22 through to 33. Wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the, of the church. His body and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one, one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of our Lord. Our text verse is from 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is a husband, and the head of Christ is God. And our topic this morning is about headship and submission. Headship and sub- submission. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the world has made our two Bible readings controversial. And something beautiful, the relationship between husband and wife and marriage is explained by some as male-controlled, evil, something that needs to be rectified. Many fair sisters maybe said this morning, I will not be like that. And why is this? Our culture, having rejected the idea of difference in roles between men and women, now rejects the idea of any difference between men and women. And this driving trends in our culture point towards men who becomes more like women. Women who are more like men. And their styles, their clothes, their perfumes, and all the rest of the world are pushing this forward in 2023. For men, there's even a name now. Metro men. This is if you look and smell like a woman, I suppose. Many churches also do not hear this passage in 1 Corinthians 11, since it does not appear in the revised common lectionary. Some commentators also accept only part of Paul's arguments, dismissing this passage as out of date, to be ignored. But these passages proved to be a critical test for what we believe about the Bible and the authority of the Bible. We confess in Article 7 of the Belgic Confession that the Bible is sufficient, the Bible is enough, the Bible is clear, and the Bible gives us everything we need as Christians. The Bible is enough. I don't need any more or any less. It's perfectly complete, containing all that I need to know 
to be able to live for my God in this life. And to say that the scriptures fully contain the will of God. It's also to say that the Bible revealed to us everything that we need to know about faith, what we are to believe and practice, how we should live. Today is then clearly about practice. Paul starts our passage in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 2 with the words, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. It appears that the Corinthians departed from the traditions of marriage, God's order. Also the next passage, the Lord's Supper, how the Corinthians celebrated the Lord's Supper. I will preach about that next week. And Paul wanted them to return to the Word of God, to keep the traditions. It's a frightening phrase to many Christians. It brings forth the idea that Christians are bound by ancient traditions, outdated traditions. We think of the 50s or 60s where men and women sat apart. Women in the church with a hat on. But this is not what our passage is about. But the traditions Paul delivered to the Corinthian Christians were simply the teachings and practices of the apostles that was received from Jesus. Paul was not talking about ceremonies and rituals, but about basic teaching, doctrine. And very important to follow the example of Jesus. The previous passage ended with chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am for Christ. And Paul put the example of Christ there for a reason. Be imitators of me as I am for Christ. What did Jesus do? Jesus did everything to glorify his Father. When Jesus prayed and gave Simon he prayed, He lifted up his eyes to the heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Jesus prayed for his glorification so that he in turn could glorify the Father. And in his prayer, Jesus referred to his upcoming death, his resurrection and ascension. But his death, especially in view, the cross, though shameful from the word's perspective, was a great moment of glory for the Father and the Son. Through the cross, Jesus bare the judgment of us all who missed our purpose through sin that was committed against God's glory. And Jesus would restore God's glory, restore us to righteousness, and live as the Lord wants us to live, so that we could glorify God again. And this includes our marriages and their relationship in church. And when Paul then addressed marriage, it's clear that Genesis 2 is the background of his preaching and his teaching in 1 Corinthians 11 and Ephesians 5. 
Paul said in verses 8 to 9, For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And Paul reflected on the Lord forming Eve from Adam's rib. And so he emphasized the flesh unity of Adam and Eve in marriage, which makes it clear that Paul was writing about marriage in these two passages. In Ephesians 5, Paul said that a husband should love his wife as his body. This established that Paul was writing about principles for marriage. And how husband and wife should treat each other in that marriage. Paul made it clear in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. And that's the principle, the foundation of the teaching. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is a husband and the head of Christ is God. This is the foundation and the order that this passage should be understood. Simply, Paul makes it clear that God has established principles of order, authority, and accountability for husband and wife. With this understanding, we see Paul describes three headship relationships, that Jesus is the head of every man. Man is the head of the woman. And God the Father is the head of Christ. And Paul connected these three relationships so that the principle of headship is the same among them. He's doing the same in Ephesians 5 verse 23. He said, for husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. This means that in any relationship there should be a leader. Without a leader, chaos sets in. Just as a nation without a leader spells disaster, so too is a family without a head. Church without a church council. And chaos sets in when we disobey the order that God prescribed in His Word. That chaos was also described in Genesis 3. When man rebelled against God, his maker. And one of the sad consequences was this harmony in marriage. Where husbands wanted to dominate their wives. And wives their husbands. In Genesis 3, Satan came with a reason first to Eve. Because he questioned God's authority. God's order. And Adam was wrong then that he blamed Eve and said to the Lord, The woman who, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. He was wrong because he was the head of the wife, the leader. With this, Adam blamed God for making him the head. And the consequence for Eve was that a husband should rule over her. Not that they rule together. Genesis 3 verse 16. That's sin. 
And so in our passages, Paul made it clear that women have two options in their attitude towards their head, their husband. They can imitate the kind of attitude Adam had towards God, showing rebelliousness. Or women can imitate the kind of attitude Christ displayed towards Christ, towards God his Father, loving submission to glorify his Father. And then the wives are addressed in Ephesians 5. A wife's life must be characterized by someone who makes space for her husband so that he can grow in his love for her. Proverbs 31, that he can be the man God included him to be. And Paul tells us that a wife should submit to her husband as to the law. Ephesians 5 verse 23. This means that she should not assert her will at all cost. And Paul gives a reason. The reason is that a man is a head or a leader in marriage. This does not mean that a man becomes a boss or she becomes the man's property. It means that in Jesus, our marriages are restored in the order which God intended this, and which sin has destroyed in paradise. And so a husband is to exercise a responsible airship in love, and a wife is to submit to a husband, both in a way that reflects the relationship of Christ to his church. Christ is the only head of the church. And so in Ephesians 1 verse 22 to 23, we read that Christ is the head of, over all things, and he put all things on his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And in the same way, the church is then subjected to Christ. So wives should be submissive to their husbands. She is bound to her husband in the same way as the church is bound to Christ. And so the church has its roots in Christ. We belong to him. That's our only comfort in life and death. Jesus has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he freed us from the bondage of sin. And so the, the wife is never the husband's slave, but the husband's helper, the equal on his side. And she needs to love her husband, honor him, and submit to him as the church submits to Christ. And she should recognize her husband as a head or leader in the same way as the church recognizes Christ as his head. And for the husband, it doesn't mean domination over wives, but servant leadership. Servant leadership. Ephesians 5 verse 25 the husband received the commandment, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This love is described as Christian love. Paul will describe this love in 1 Corinthians 13, the next chapter. And this love can change anything. This love, a husband is willing to die for his wife. 
Jesus said in this love, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And he gave his life for us. Husbands should be willing to die for their wives, give their lives in the same way as Christ died for us. And Christ was willing to love us, to act as a mediator for our sins, to reconcile us with God, so that God could be glorified. 1 Peter 3 verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And in the same way, husbands should now give themselves up for their wives. That's the perfect love. And when this love exists in a, heavily, in a, in a marriage, there will be no sinful domination. But a man will be willing to die for his wife. Almost spoken languages and tongues there. This means that his wife is more valuable than his own life. So, beloved, our passages are about authority. The idea of headship and authority and order is most important to God. This is God's eternal counsel or plan. And God wants from us voluntary submission or obedience as his church. This is what Jesus showed in his life over and over again. Philippians 2 verse 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is how Jesus served. This is how wives should serve. How husbands should serve Christ. What God looks from both men and women in their marriage. And it's important to understand that being under authority does not equal inferiority. Jesus was total under the authority of his father. John 5, 5, verse 19, 8, verse 28, and yet he's equally God. John 1, verse 1, 8, verse 58, and 10, verse 30. And when God calls women in the church to recognize the headship of men, it's not because women are unequal or inferior, but because God ordained order of authority to be respected. God is a God of order. This is how he created the world. And in this acceptance of authority, God will be glorified. As Jesus glorified his Father. This is the ultimate reason. But Paul also gave other reasons. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 7 to 10. For a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God... But a woman is the glory of man, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority in her head, because of the angels. It's clear that there's a cultural aspect in our passage. We should remember that the first hearers or readers was the Corinthian church. 
And therefore, maybe you can sigh a relief today, you don't have to return wearing hats to church. Men only wearing short hair. It also does not mean that every woman in the church is under the authority of every man. Instead, it means those of their husband and those who lead the church, pastors and ruling elders, must be men. <coughs> and women must respect their authority, not because of their gender, but because God had appointed them. And office is representative of Christ. The principle always remains. Male headship is the order and manner in which God created man and woman. This is how God ordained that. Something that was present before the fall. And this passage makes it clear that before and after the fall, God has ordained there to be a difference in the role between genders. This is also the church. The fall did not cause the difference in gender roles. And the difference in roles is not erased by our new life in Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus restored our marriages and relationships which sin has destroyed. That's what Ephesians 5 is telling us. Paul gave another reason, because of the angels in verse 10. Very difficult. This states that our task to glorify God is bigger than ourselves. God has eternal things to teach the universe through us. Ephesians 3 verse 10, Paul explained, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. <coughs> and John Stott explained this by the way of an act where God himself has written the play in his eternal counsel. God directs, God produces. And scene by scene, the play continues to unfold. But the audience are all the heavenly cosmic intelligences, the principalities and powers, where the angels proclaimed the glory of God when Jesus was born. And that everything has its place and order. And so that God is calling marriage a profound mystery, the symbol of the church, the relationship between Jesus and the church. Ephesians 5. What did Jesus do? Jesus gave his life for the church so that we could live. And Paul summarized in both our passages what the life of a Christian then should look. We should be submissive to Christ. Be obedient to the order that God ordained. Because it's about Christ and His love, and in this love we should act. If I love Christ and glorify Him as my Lord and my Savior, then I will serve my husband and wife as well. Only in Jesus we can submit to one another. Only in Him men can have responsible headship in the same way as Jesus is the head of the church and we are His body. Beloved, the failure of men to lead in the home and the church, and to lead in the way Jesus led in glorifying his Father, has been the main cause of the rejection of male authority. It's inexcusable. 
And some say today that the church cannot work anymore. Unless we get along with the times and put women in positions of spiritual and doctrinal authority in the church. They say it works outside in the culture. But is such a church led by the word of God? What do we confess about the Bible? Remember that the word of God defines our culture and not the other way around. And these ideas of authority and submission to authority are so important to God that they are part of His very being. And so the first person of the Holy Trinity is called the Father. The second person of the Holy Trinity is called the Son. Inherent in those titles is a relationship of authority and submission to authority. The Father exercises authority over the Son. The Son submits to the Father's authority. And this in the very nature and being of our God. And our failure to exercise biblical authority in our culture, our marriages, our church, churches, isn't just wrong and sad. It's rebellion against the very nature of God and God's word. So Paul directs the congregation back to the glory of God in our relationship, to the headship of Christ. A life of self-denial to live in a faithful following of Jesus. To live in Him alone. This is to love each other more than ourselves. To love in the love of Jesus. To live in the love of Jesus. This is to glorify God in our relationship, in our marriage, in our church. And to follow the example of Jesus. Who glorified His Father. What a glorious passage, if we understand this right. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you show through your word how we should live and how we should be obedient to your words. You tell us how authority works, that you are God of order, Father, we pray for wisdom, for grace, especially in the times we are living. Things are so confusing, Lord, because we made them confusing. Lord, we pray for husbands and wives, for men and women, that they can grasp and understand their role before you and why you created us. And this is to glorify you. That you are God of order. And we pray for this order to be restored. We pray for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when all will be all in all. But in the meanwhile, Lord, we ask for wisdom. We pray for authority and submission. And that we will serve and love each other, willing to die for one another. Comfort your people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.